Good morning. <laughs> I almost didn't turn myself on my microphone here. That would have been really hard for me to yell at you all morning. So, well, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to those who are joining us on site and those who are joining us online. Just right before we get into today's message, I just want to mention uh, one quick thing. As many of you are aware, we're in this sort of transitional time with uh, some of the COVID guidelines that have been coming out, and, and that affects all areas of our lives, including how we gather as a church and when we come to church. And so, uh, throughout the entire past two years, uh, our leadership here at West Meadows has been committed to following all of the you know, federal, provincial, and municipal guidelines that are put forward for us, which we've been doing. And uh, thank you so much for your participation in that and uh, for helping us to navigate that well. As you may be aware, yesterday there were some announcements of things changing at a provincial level, but still at a municipal level, there's still um, guidelines in place regarding masking and things like that. And so we aren't quite sure what next week looks like yet. Uh, we're still in a bit of a holding period, but you'll start to see some things are changing, and we're, we're moving in that direction. Uh, you'll see that out in the foyer, we've started to set up the cafe again, because we, coffee service is coming back. Yeah. Thumbs up? You thumbs up? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> coffee service is coming back. Uh, the children's space, or the parents' space is, is increasing, and some of those sorts of things. We're already starting to move. We're just waiting for some of the official word on some other things. So, as soon as we know, we're going to let all of you know... Um, haven't got much more to say about it today, but watch your emails. Uh, we'll be emailing the entire church through our, uh, if you're on the weekly emailing list, you'll receive an update when we know something. If you're not, um, contact the office or go to your pew portal right now, that QR code in front of you, and you can sign up for the weekly on there. Uh, or just check the website, westmeadows.org, and we'll be updating our COVID page there with uh, different guidelines that we're following or not requiring any further as we learn what those look like. So... Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to chat with me or contact the office throughout the week. Or watch your email, check the website, and we'll uh, continue to move forward together on that. Well, to our service today, or to our sermon today, we are midway through our series where we have been defining and kind of describing new life with Jesus. And the goal of this is not just to sort of help us understand what that phrase means, but, but to go beyond understanding, to actually be able to see what it looks like to experience that every day in our life as we walk with Jesus. And so, so far, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we have defined new life in us through our relationship with Christ, with, with God through Jesus. We've described new life around us with others, and we've described new life beyond us. As Greg Musselman was here last week to talk about how the gospel and the church is advancing beyond us around the world. And so much more could be said about all three of these areas than I can possibly cover from the platform here, which is why we have these things called Beyond the Message Life Groups. And if you want to process these a little bit more and, and share a bit more about these topics, I encourage you to consider joining one of our Beyond the Message Life Groups that meet uh, throughout the weeks, different homes, and here at the church. And with some of the changes that are happening in the health guidelines, we can do that in person again, which we are very excited to be able to do once more. So you can find those on the website and process a bit more. But here today, I invite you to kind of turn the corner with me a little bit as we move from simply defining these things to kind of turning the corner as I invite you to consider how. How can we have these things in our lives? How can we experience this new life with Jesus in us, around us, and beyond us? Because here's something that, that, I, that I know and I think you would all agree with me. We are all on a spiritual journey. Now, it looks different and moving at different paces and kind of different directions for different people. But, but I hope, 
I hope all of us who are here today and those who are watching online are, are sort of pointed towards an ever-deepening, are pointed towards an ever-closer walk with Jesus. That that's the trajectory of our spiritual journey that we're on. And maybe as you consider that concept of a spiritual journey, you, you might feel like you're at a stage of curiosity where you're still seeking and questioning these things, but you're, but you're moving in that direction as you question. Or, or maybe you're at more of a captivated stage where, where, where you've heard the good news of Christ. You've, you've accepted it and it has captivated your heart, but you've said yes, but man, the world beyond that yes is so broad. There's so much more to know. Maybe you're at that next stage of, of being committed. A committed follower of Christ who is investing in knowing and growing the love and the truth of Jesus. Or, or maybe even a, a stage of cultivating where you've been growing for a while and now either through children in your home, through friends or through family or through uh, workplaces, people you meet with in cafes, you're in that cultivating stage of, of mentoring another person to grow in their faith. Wherever you're at, whether you're, you're curious, captivated, committed or cultivating, you're on a spiritual journey. And as we look at those spiritual journeys, as a pastor and having met hundreds and hundreds of people over the years I've been doing this, I see the uniqueness of all these stories. But there tends to be some common markers. There tends to be some common milestones that people have on these journeys. And they tend to be associated with how we experience new life with Jesus. They're kind of like pins in a map. Have you ever gone on maps, and when we used to have paper maps, you can't really put a pin in your phone anymore, but back when we had paper maps, you used to put pins in the important destinations, the special moments along the way as you went on a trip, and the same thing happens in our spiritual journeys. There's these milestones, these pins in the map of these specific special moments we have along the way, and I don't want to limit the way that we can experience new life with Christ. That's, that's not my hope or my point in this series or today at all. Because it's so varied in the ways that we can experience this as we continue to journey with Christ. But I do want to help you to be aware of a couple of really important ones. I want to help you be aware of a few important ones and ensure that you have experienced these ones in particular for yourself. Now, to help you understand what I mean by some of these key milestones and markers upon a spiritual journey, I, I thought it would be interesting to ask some people on staff. I, I, Andrew and Thena, our, two of our, our pastoral staff, I asked them to briefly share their testimonies for you. And I want to share those with you now. But as you listen to their testimonies, see if you can identify some of these common markers, these milestones that I mentioned. So I came to faith later on in life. I was kind of in my teenage years, and the youth pastor was actually the big influence in my life that shared the message of Jesus and who he was to me. And so she was just an amazing person that shared that info that allowed me to be able to accept Jesus as my Savior. And then from that point, I was able to progress a little bit in my faith. I went through a baptism class, and I was able to be baptized with my entire family all on the same day in a huge lake just alongside a main road. It was truly a life-changing experience for me because from that point on, I was able to move into community in a greater way where I was able to engage with the congregation, with all my friends, and it gave me a sense of belonging that was greater than any other instance in my life. And from that point, there was this tug, this calling in my life towards ministry towards what I do now as a pastor 
And even though I did fight that tug, God was leading me in a certain direction so that I could actually reach beyond just that community that I was growing up in to share the message with somebody else outside of the community, even possibly in places worldwide. And so that's kind of a little bit of my testimony to bring you up to how I became a Christian. My journey towards Jesus began when I was four years old, and I can remember through the influence of my mom and my grandparents that I decided that I wanted to make Jesus my savior and my forever friend. So I was laying in bed, getting ready to go to bed, and my mom knelt beside me and helped me with my prayer. I lived in a house where I had a Christian parent and an atheist parent, and so I really needed to determine what faith meant for me. And I can still recall when I turned 10 years old that I decided that I wanted to make that faith publicly known, that I wanted to proclaim that for everybody. And so I chose to be baptized. And when I was baptized, it was in this outdoor swimming pool. And I can still remember the sounds and the sensations of me and my head going in the water and out again. It was a very special day. I had lots of different Christian mentors and I was participating in a Christian club, which later turned into a youth group. And I also had lots of opportunities to serve at the church and kind of serve in the community too, which was really great for my spiritual growth. And I can remember one of my mentors at one point telling me, Fina, God told me that you're supposed to go into ministry. And she was so excited and her excitement really overwhelmed me. I got excited too. And so as I progressed in my journey with the Lord, I started going on missions trips and I did get into vocational ministry. And it's just been so wonderful. And one of the most wonderful things has just been being in the right place at the right time, being willing to be an open vessel for the Lord and just experiencing and witnessing so much new life as a result. Thank you for sharing those with us this morning. And did you, did you pick up some common things? I'll quickly unpack it for you. Let's make sure we didn't miss anything in there. And, and Andrew and Thena both have unique journeys, as we can see. But there were some common points on how they experienced new life at certain stages. For both of them, there were people in their lives of influence. People of influence who shared with them the good news of Jesus Christ. And then when they heard that good news, they, invited, they, they, they were invited to accept that as to be part of who they are. To, to become identified with Jesus' forgiveness and his victory. And in that moment, they experienced new life in themselves. Uh, for Andrew, that took place when he said later in life, as, as part of a, a youth group or a youth pastor shared with him, if you get Andrew alone and you get to talk about the whole story, you'll see that there were some girls involved in that too, that he was, he was interested in maybe finding a future wife, which he did, which he did. We're not afraid to use that to grow the youth group, right? <laughs> it works. He's a testimony of how it works. And Jacqueline, you as well. Yeah. And Athena, she was a child. She grew up in a home where there was different messages that were being shared about things of faith. But, but her mom and her grandparents had an influence. But both these people came to faith, and then they, this new life they experienced was shared through the milestone moment of baptism. And then this new life that they had in them was becoming evident to those people around them as they started to participate and started to join a church family. And they gave examples of how that church family looked as they participated in a youth group and church events and life groups and places where they could worship and serve together. And it gave them a sense of belonging as they experienced new life around them. 
And then as members of that church, they found their place in God's mission beyond them. They found their place in God's mission as they started to serve, as they started to go on short-term mission trips, as they could hear God's will in their lives, and as mentors around them started to speak into their lives, they then went out and continued the process where they now share the good news of Jesus Christ with others and invite others to advance their journey and experience new life as well. New life in them, among them, and beyond them. And this isn't just a call for people who are in vocational ministry who are in professional ministry. This is something that exists in everybody who is, joining toward, who is journeying towards or who is journeying with Jesus Christ. All of us have the opportunity to experience new life in us, around us, and beyond us. And so I ask you the question, what's your story? What is your story? And as you consider the trajectory and the, and, and the journey you've been on, what are the milestone moments what are those things that you have said yes to in your journey? I want to talk about those in the next couple of weeks, starting today by talking about the first one. The first one that happens after somebody hears the good news of Jesus Christ and accepts it into their life. And they then take that step of expressing that new life through the beautiful milestone of baptism. Now, I know that many people here have been baptized already or, or baptized at some point in the past. And, and I trust that that's a special memory for you, as Andrew and Thena both shared it was in their lives. But I also know this, and I know it from my own life and from, I think it's a safe assumption for a lot of us, is that in that moment of experiencing great joy and excitement has kind of waned over time. That while we still hold it as a special dear moment in the past, the, the emotions, the joy, the commitment, all the experience has probably waned a little bit over time. And so if that speaks to you, I hope that today as we cover this, it will remind you of the importance of that milestone in your journey. And allow you to maybe once again experience just a piece of the joy that came with that. I also know that there are others who are joining us here on site and those who are joining us online who are at that curious stage where you're still journeying towards Christ, and so you wouldn't have taken that step of baptism yet. There are those who are at the, at, at the committed, or at the captivated stage. And this is new. <laughs> this is a whole new journey, and, and perhaps you didn't know that that was part of it, or perhaps you, you are so new you haven't had an opportunity yet to step into the waters of baptism. Or I also know that there are some people here who are perhaps in that committed stage, where they've been following and living with Christ for a long time, but either because of fear misconceptions, or simply just indifference. You haven't taken that step yet. Regardless of which of those camps you fall into, I hope for all of us, I, I've been praying that for all of us today, we will be able to see the importance of this milestone and that some would even feel prompted to step forward and add it to their journey. And here's the thing. Since this is, such, this is a, one of the most beautiful expressions of new life that exists, since there's incredible joy that exists around this new life, and, and not to mention the fact that it's in our name, West Meadows Baptist Church, <laughs> I think it's worth taking some time to talk about this. Amen? All right. Now, we have people from all sorts of different Christian traditions that are with us here. We have people from all sorts of different faith traditions that are here with us today. And all of those actually practice some form of baptism. So... It's probably good to simply start by defining, what are we talking about when we talk about baptism? Well, for our purposes today, just to bring some clarity, we're going to get a little technical for a second. I want to offer you a technical definition of baptism that will help us to define it for us. And it's this. 
Baptism is a Christian ordinance involving water that publicly identifies a believer with Jesus Christ. Now, there's lots in there, and so we're going to briefly, piece by piece, dissect this for a few minutes. And we'll come to a good understanding of what this is all about. First of all, what does this word ordinance mean? Well, an ordinance is understood as a deeply significant symbolic practice that is commanded by God. See, we're getting a little technical for a minute, but this will all come together and make sense. A deeply significant symbolic practice that is commanded by God. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you might be thinking, where is baptism commanded by God? Well, it's overlooked sometimes, but it's pretty clearly present actually in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, when Jesus told his followers to go and to make disciples, baptizing and teaching them is what he says. And when we look at the language that exists here, that word go is written in an an, an emphatic manner, which means it is a command to go. Make sure you're with me. What is the command to do? That was emphatic. Well done. It's a command to go, right, go. And as we go and make disciples, how do we do that? Well, in part, by baptizing. It's part of the emphatic command that we've received. Therefore, baptism is not just a religious ritual that we participate in because we reach a certain age. It's not something we just do because my best friend's doing it and we like to do everything together, so we're going to do this together. Baptism is not something we just do because it's going to make grandma happy and they're going to quit bugging me about it. That's not the reason we do this. Baptism is an act of obedience. It's an act of obedience to the command that Jesus gave us to publicly declare our identification with him and then to continue to obey him all the days of our lives beyond that. So that's what this ordinance is about. But what does the water have to do with it? Well, why is the water such an important part of this symbolic identification and obedience? Well, you know, even outside the Christian, Christian traditions, uh, any religion that involves baptism really uses water because it's this element that exists in our world that has this idea of, of purity associated with it and, and the removal of stains and, and of washing and some of these sorts of, sorts of understandings of this element makes it a great symbolic element to be included. And its use in the Christian tradition comes in different ways. And you may come from a different Christian tradition where you know that there's different means or as we refer to different modes by which baptism is conducted. Some places will do what's called sprinkling, where, where they may sort of cup some water and kind of sprinkle it over top of you or, or have an instrument that they dip in water and, and shake it upon you, that kind of sprinkling. Other places will do pouring, where there's sort of a vessel or a cup that they fill with water and then pour it over top of a person. Those are two common modes that exist. But for many churches, including here at West Meadows, if you're going to get baptized, you need to bring a change of clothes and a towel. Because we do something called immersion. (laughs) We do immersion baptism. It is a third mode that exists. And and we do this for a few reasons. And as I really quickly unpack each of the reasons, I I think it's going to add depth of understanding and, and depth of the meaning of the symbolism of baptism that aligns with the act of doing it through immersion. And first of all, it comes from this. The fact that the word baptize comes from a Greek. You want to learn some Greek? Yeah? Good. So, so here's the thing. The word baptize comes from the Greek word, this is hard to say, baptizo. It's almost, a, it's one letter different than the word we use. So can you say that with me? Baptizo. Good. If you're online and you're watching, you can type that into the chat, or if you're listening to this later on in the week, and you can just shout out baptizo randomly at the gym or the cafe you're in right now. They'll 
People will think you're crazy, but you're following along. That's good. The Greek word for baptize is baptizo, which literally means to dip. It means to, to submerge or to immerse. And in how the Bible authors use it to depict baptism actually aligns with this definition. For example, the baptism of Jesus, as we read about, for uh, example, in Matthew chapter 6, or chapter 3, verse 16, it's described by Matthew as Jesus going down into the water and then coming up out of the water. So the language he uses around the phrase baptizo aligns with this picture of being submerged in a manner that is in keeping with the definition. And as followers who are seeking to walk in the footsteps of our master, there stands reason that we want to imitate the manner in which Jesus tells us to be baptized. But it goes even further than that. Because this word baptizo doesn't just have religious usage or religious significance to it. It actually comes from a different application. It's actually associated with the work of a person called a fuller. Ever heard of a fuller before? Probably not. It's not a common job anymore, but it was common back in the time of the ancient Near East. And and a fuller was somebody who would take raw cloth and they would prep it to be used for its intended purpose. And imagine, for example, somebody has woven together a piece of wool cloth. Now, we know what wool cloth is because Grandma makes us those wool sweaters, right? They're kind of rough and scratchy, and you, you put them on, you can't really do too much when you have it on. So a fuller would take that wool hard cloth, and they would work it. They would soften it. And they would, they would make it very, very, very soft and, 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 and uh, pliable. And then they would take it, quite often white or off-white, and they would dip it into a dye that would become whatever color the shirt or the cloak is going to be. So they would take this white wool cloth and they would dip it into like purple dye. And when they took it out, they were said to have baptized it. That's the use of that word in the work of a fuller is that they would have baptized the cloth into the dye. They were said to have baptized it. And we can see the symbolic significance of this. As we understand the journey with Christ where God enters into a person's life. And he kind of works and molds and softens their heart. And after that heart is softened, it is then immersed into Jesus Christ. And they become identified with Christ. Does that make sense? I, I see these, these very strong, as a very strong basis for the practice a baptism by immersion. But like many, I, I find the theological significance of this one to be the most compelling. Because it leads us to the last phrase, this understanding of what it means to publicly identify with Christ as a believer. And, and to help us understand that, I, I think it's beneficial to look at sort of a consistent pattern that we see that has existed throughout the church age that actually is found in the book Acts. If you were to do a study of Acts, you would find this, that there's really just one model kind of one pattern that happens, and it's this, very simply, is that people hear the word, and after they hear the word, they respond in faith, and after they respond in faith, they they profess that faith publicly through baptism. If you look up on, on the screen here, you'll see there's a whole list of verses in the book of Acts. These are all examples where that model is followed, where somebody hears the word, they respond in faith, and they are then baptized. These are all examples of this from the book Acts. Not an isolated event, multiple times that it happens, and there is no other pattern by which it happens. So what does that mean for us on our journey? It means this, that just like the people of Acts, you all are here online or on site because somebody invited you 
Somebody wanted you to know the truth of who Jesus is. They invited you to come and experience, to, to be immersed in an understanding of God's love for you. And because of that, you've had the opportunity to understand that all of us are sinful. We all have fallen short of God's perfect character and perfect will for our lives. And because of that, we have done things that are what's called sinful. We've, we've wronged God and we violated his commands. We've wronged each other and other people have hurt us. And we know that sin is reality of the human experience. But because it's reality of human experience, it leads to this relational separation between us and God. And the, the Bible refers to this relational separation as death, this, this, this eternal spiritual separation, this eternal spiritual relational divide that exists. And it is beyond us to, to ever overcome that divide. But Jesus Christ stood in the gap and paid the price for our sins by dying in our place upon the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And not only did Jesus die, not only was he buried, but he also was resurrected. And he is therefore victorious over sin. He is victorious over death. And we then have the choice to place our faith in Jesus Christ, to become identified with him in his victory and in his forgiveness. And when we allow that to enter into our lives, to soften and mold our hearts, and we allow ourselves to accept that and, and welcome into our lives, as he gave his life for us, we give our lives for him. As we allow that to happen, we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in that moment, we receive new life. Having died to the old sinful self and being reborn with new life to the spiritual rebirth that exists, being alive in Jesus Christ. In that moment, we have this new life that we can experience. And when we step then into the waters of baptism as the model we see in the book of Acts, that those who have received that then stepped out to publicly profess that through baptism. When we do that through immersion, it's this act that so beautifully symbolizes as we go under the water, being identified with the death and the burial of Christ. But then when we are raised out of the water, identified with his resurrection and his victory. Paul explains it this way in Romans 6 when he says, Don't you know that all of you who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may be raised to what? To new life. To new life in you. To experience new life in you. To experience it through receiving Christ and to declare it through the act of baptism. When Nadine and I were baptized I'll never forget the pastor. He, I don't remember all the things that led up to it, but I remember the moment when we went under the water. And as we went under the water, he said, buried with Christ, as we came back up, he would say, risen to newness of life. I'll always remember those words repeated as we were baptized. What's your story? When you recall your story of being baptized, what are some of the common things? I know a couple of the common things. You probably stood there a little nervous. So they're a little mixture of nervousness and excitement. Pastor asked you a couple of questions to which you said, yes, Jesus is my Savior. Yes, it is my desire to follow him all the days of my life. And then in that moment, you went under the water. And you could feel and you could hear the, the water rushing over you. And then all of a sudden, it was all silent. As though you were buried. And then, something started pulling pulling you up, partially the pastor, 
partially you're floating, but also the joy, the joy of knowing that this was not the end, the joy of knowing that there's something on the other side, the joy of coming back up. And what did you hear when you came back up? Let's clap. What did you hear when you came back up? You heard the applause of the congregation. You were filled with a sense of thanksgiving. You were filled with a sense of victory as the people of God in heaven celebrated your new life that you experienced. Amen? That's the experience. Now, I know that there are some here who have not experienced that, who have not yet had the opportunity to experience that. And you may even be contemplating if this is something that you really need to do. If this is a milestone you need to add to your journey, and if you are thinking that right now and you have not stepped in the waters of baptism, I strongly encourage you to hold fast to that thought, to not allow it to be stolen from you, to allow it to slip from you, but to hold fast to it and to take a step to public profess your new life in Jesus Christ through baptism. You can do so by coming to talk to us after the service or pop us an email or send a phone call. We would love to join you in that journey. Because all people who have heard the good news and who have responded in faith and entered into a relationship with Christ, are commanded to publicly profess that through baptism. But before we go any further with this, I need to make sure we're clear on one thing. And I'm, gonna, I'm a little nervous as I say this. I'll explain why I'm nervous in a moment. I'm a little nervous when I say this, but, but I need you to know this. As important and as significant as baptism is, It does not make you saved. It does not make you a Christian. If we were to say that baptism makes you saved, or baptism makes you a Christian, or or it's a requirement, there's two problems with that. The first one is this. We would be saying that Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross was not sufficient. We would be saying that best it was 99.9% sufficient, but it needed our little ceremony to top it up all the way. And secondly, we would be actually moving towards a works-based understanding of salvation. And we know from Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that that's not the case. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it is by grace you have been saved through that faith. It is not of ourselves in any way, in any form, of any sort, at any point, not of ourselves. It is simply, purely, 100% a gift of God bestowed upon us, not by our works. Because if it was even a little bit by us, we'd probably go claim the whole thing and boast about. But here's why it makes me nervous to say this. Because when I say that baptism does not make you saved, it doesn't make you a Christian, some people may hear me saying that we can devalue it. Some people may hear me say, well, why bother? If I'm already saved, why bother? It seems like it might be an optional thing if it doesn't make me saved. Maybe I'll do it at some point when I feel like it because it's optional. That's what makes me nervous is that some people may hear it as an optional thing. And part of the reason I know that is because I lived that. I was kind of like Thena where I was a child when I came, when I had the good news of Jesus Christ shared with me and I made a profession of faith when I was a child. I was not baptized till I was 20. Some of you may have lived longer than that without being baptized after that profession of faith. But part of the reason I didn't is because I saw it as optional. I had a sense of indifference towards this act of baptism. And I regret that. I regret it. And if you are following in my complacent footsteps, I encourage you instead to follow in the obedient footsteps as you follow Jesus Christ's example. And the example of the, Old Test- of the New Testament church who they heard the word, they responded in faith, and they were baptized. Because the idea that some people get a hall pass on this 
You know what? It, it only exists in our Western Christianity. Did you know that? Throughout history and throughout the world, the idea of an unbaptized Christian just doesn't even make sense to people. Outside the Western world, the idea of an unbaptized Christian doesn't even exist. You see, you are not a Christian because you were baptized, but there really is no concept of an unbaptized Christian. That's, that's, that's a Western creation that exists. Even today, if you go outside the Western world to where the gospel is spreading like wildfire, baptism is not even questioned. It's never considered optional. And people will not wait. And, and, and people will be eager, even at great risk, to step into those waters to publicly declare this. It's similar to what we see in the book of, uh, book of Acts in chapter 8, one of the examples from that list. You might remember the story where, where Philip encounters a, an Ethiopian man who's riding a chariot. And as he's riding this chariot, he's reading the prophecies about the Messiah from the, from the scroll of Isaiah. And, and Philip is drawn to go meet him. And he asks him if he understands what he's reading. And, and the Ethiopian says, how can I? How can I unless somebody tells me? And he invites Philip to join him in the chariot. And as they continue journeying along, the model happens. Philip shares the good news of Jesus Christ with this man. This man responds to the good news that's shared with him, and he, he enthusiastically responds. And then we find this in verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the man then said to Philip, here's water. What stands in the way of me being baptized? And he gave the order to stop the chariot, and both he and Philip went down into the water, and he was baptized there in that very moment. That's the pattern. That's how it's been throughout history. That's how it's been around the world, even in places that are hostile to the name of Jesus Christ. That's the model that's followed. Where those who enter into a new life with Jesus Christ literally are risking their earthly lives by doing so. They still have set forward in baptism. We see this throughout history. You go back to the 16th century when, when a group of people started to emerge who believed in the power of Scripture alone and salvation by grace and started practicing adult baptism by immersion. Back in the 16th century, when that started, their group started to grow and emerge doing that, those beliefs were declared illegal. And those who held those beliefs and publicly professed them, those who were baptized by immersion, when those people were caught... They were either burned at the stake by the thousands, or as this famous picture depicts, as a further insult, as a slap in the face to their beliefs, these people would be killed by drowning because they had chosen to be baptized by immersion. 16th century. But we know even in present day world that there are places that we're familiar with that are closed countries where we have even some people in our own congregation who come from these places, or even in these closed countries, they heard the good news of God's love for them through Jesus Christ, of his sacrifice for them. And they accepted this gift of salvation, fully aware of the risk to their relationships, to their possessions, to their very lives, and yet they counted the cost, and they said, but my Jesus is too good to bottle up. And they determined to profess that publicly, that new life in Jesus Christ in word and in baptism at great risk. I know even outside of Christian traditions, 
even in the secular world, there is significance placed in baptism. I, I know of pastors and missionaries who tell stories of, of witnessing to those who come from these closed countries that come to North America. And, and these, these missionaries and pastors share the good news of Jesus with them. These people from these hostile countries. And when they hear the word of Christ and they accept it and they profess it, they know their lives are in danger. And so sometimes they'll seek asylum to stay in North America. And I've heard stories of pastors going to these immigration courts with these people who, who say, I'm a Christian, and I will be killed if I go home. And the judge is kind of skeptical, because how do I know? And in these situations, they have been permitted to submit as evidence baptism certificates that has tipped the scales at times, and them gaining asylum. Even outside the church, this is seen as significant. It is seen as putting action behind the words. They say, talk is cheap, but action costs us something. And even outside the church, even in the court systems, there's evidence of a baptism certificate holding merit to the reality of a person's commitment and to the reality of the danger they face because of that commitment. These are amazing stories of this fervent commitment to Jesus Christ where nothing could stop them from being baptized. And as we look at these examples, let us remember, for number one, the importance and the beauty of this expression of new life. But secondly, let us also push back against any suggestion, push back against any fear, push back against any lie of the enemy that baptism is optional for a believer of Jesus Christ. If you have not yet said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't taken that step of faith yet, of placing your trust in his forgiveness for your sins, that's where it begins. I invite you to come and, and speak with me or, or speak with Andrew at the end of the service and allow us to, to, to talk with you about that and, and see if we can answer any questions you may have and walk with you in your journey towards Christ and towards the new life you can experience with him. And if you're a person here who, who has maybe, maybe recently or, or previously accepted Christ, but you have not yet been baptized, I just got to ask what's stopping you? What is stopping you from doing that? And whatever it is, we will be honored to help you take that step, to publicly profess your identity with Jesus Christ. Again, come talk to us. We'll guide you in those next steps and putting into a discussion group where we can talk more about this and have a service in the coming weeks where we can celebrate this with you. But then finally, for those of us who are here, who are believers and who have been baptized by immersion in the past, I, I number one, I hope that today was a good reminder for you of what that was that you participated in in that particular moment, that milestone in your journey. I hope you're reminded of the significance and the purpose of that milestone in your journey. And I want to simply close by drawing all of those who find themselves in that camp, drawing you back again to the final words of Jesus Christ that he spoke to us. Because they remind us that your profession of faith was not the end, it was merely the beginning. The beginning of you then going out. And you then inviting other people to experience new life with Christ as you have. As Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ whom we have talked about and reflected upon here this morning, who we have worshipped and celebrated in word and song this morning. 
God, I pray for those who are listening online and those who are here present with us who do not yet have a relationship with you, Lord. Or I pray for those who, who, who know that they have wandered from that relationship and today there is something in them that says, come back. Receive the grace again. Lord, I pray for those that, that they would join me right now in just, just acknowledging in a word of prayer their need of you their waywardness from you, their gratefulness for you, and their surrender to you. And God, I pray also for those who who have been faithfully following you, Lord, except for maybe in one of these areas. Lord, if there are those among us who are faithfully following you, but have not yet stepped in the waters of baptism, profess that amongst us into the world. I, I pray, Lord, that in the days ahead, we would have the opportunity to celebrate with Help us come alongside those people. Help them to make themselves known, Lord, so that we can come together as the body of Christ and to proclaim your goodness and your love individually and collectively. And one of the ways we do that is through baptism. And Lord, for those of us here who are followers of Christ, who who have made that as part of our journey, I pray that we would sense the joy and the excitement and the victory of that moment yet once again. That would not just be for us, but that it would propel us. That it would would animate our expressions of faith and of you and the world around us. Today and the days ahead. So in all of these things, Lord, may you receive the glory and the honor. Pray this in Jesus' name.